Successful Performer Cast, Episode 19. This is the show that interviews one full-time professional entertainer per week with the goal of inspiring and equipping those who are working to make the leap themselves. This is the Successful Performer Cast. Hey everyone, this is Chris Shepard, your host. Thanks for listening to the Successful Performer Cast, the show that interviews successful entertainers to inspire you, our listeners. Have you joined our email list? This is a great way to be notified every time a new episode breaks. Go to SuccessfulPerformerCast.com to sign up today and never miss an episode. Also, I'd love to know what you guys are thinking about the show. Uh, Please feel free to participate in the comments on the show notes pages. You can find those at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com. And also feel free to drop me a line. You can uh, reach me through my email at ks at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com. So please drop me a line. Let me know what you guys think. I'd also like to thank Lou Santini for his uh, review and rating on iTunes. If you'd like to do the same, it really helps out a lot. You can do so by going to SuccessfulPerformerCast.com and clicking on the iTunes link at the top. I really appreciate it, and I read every single one of them. Now, let's get to the good stuff. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show a man whose name is indelibly etched into the world of magic. Tony Clark is a world-class performer who travels the world performing magic and producing shows. He's appeared countless times on television, has worked with the likes of John Malkovich and Nicolas Cage while consulting for film and TV, and is the recipient of many magic awards, including Magician of the Year, given by the International Magician Society. He also lectures, teaching on all areas of magic, and manufacturing manufactures products for professional magicians everywhere. If this guy doesn't know what he's talking about when it comes to magic and business, I have no idea who does. Tony, I am absolutely thrilled to have you here as a guest tonight. Thanks for uh, being here. <laughs> oh, thank you. Very kind introduction. Thank you so much. Hey, my pleasure. <laughs> so let's, yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So let's, uh, let's start off with a little bit of inspiration here. Do you mm-hmm. have a favorite success quote or a mantra that you live by? Well, they, they've changed the years. You know, early on in my career, I was very, very into Tony Robbins and uh, even before that, uh, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, the book. And yeah. one, of the, one of the mantras that he had that I actually condensed down, he said, whatever the mind can conceive and believe, it can achieve. And I streamlined it and said, just uh, conceive, believe, achieve. Um, and that's really the form. And, and it has to be backed by passion, you know, mm-hmm. all those things that that you believe in, you have to really believe in them with your heart and soul. Otherwise people, you know, don't, don't achieve things unless they really believe in them. So it's basically Napoleon Hill's uh, mantra was my first one that I ever used. Awesome. Could you give us an example, uh, maybe something specific in which this mantra has uh, helped you out in your career? Um, yes, I think, um, probably winning the Society of American Magicians contest in uh, 
1988 in uh, St. Louis. I uh, visualized the contest. Uh, I, I wanted it. I believed I could win. And I, and in my rehearsals, three days, three times, four times a day, I would just visualize myself winning. You know, so I, I, I conceived it. I believed it, and then I won the contest that year. And uh, for the SAM, won first place for the world class contest. So, and I, and I, you know, I use it in smaller levels as well. You know, little little mm-hmm. projects and. I think it's believing is the key, though. You know, one thing that even Tony Robbins says, it's like, oh, you have a child and he's not walking by eight months. Do you give up on him? No. He's not walking by <laughs> nine months. Do you give up on him? No. Not at all. <laughs> Why don't you give up on him? Because you know he's supposed to walk. Oh, well, that's the way you should think about your goals. You know it's supposed to happen. You just don't know exactly sometimes the exact moment. So, you know, those are good things to remember because uh, things always come at different speeds, you know, different levels. Right, and it it, uh, it it may not seem like it, it makes a lot of sense in that uh, just visualizing yourself achieving something, but it really does go a long way into helping you uh, in in your path to it, doesn't it? Oh yeah, it's yeah. just you know it's just constant you know reinforcement to positive reinforcement in your mind, and when you visualize something, you're able to do it perfectly. You know, uh, if you rehearse and you mess up, well, then you get that in your brain. But you can visualize your act, visualize your goals in your mind exactly as you want them, and the mind just goes with it. You know, it just you're, you're conditioning the brain to accept it, and uh, it's when, when you know when it becomes familiar to the mind, it becomes more acceptable, and and, and you uh, you achieve it easier and faster. Right, and uh, if if uh, for some reason you're seeing yourself not achieving it, you're defeated uh, from the get go. Well, yeah, so. that's. I mean, you could you could visualize in the negative and the positive, and unfortunately, yeah. people do the both. You know, you could you could create good or bad with it. It's up to you, really. Yeah, and it's yeah. a uh, it's a personal choice every single time. So yes, absolutely. definitely. Well, Tony, could you bring us into your journey into how you discovered magic, or maybe how it discovered you? Six years old, Stanford, Connecticut, uh, watched uh, Marshall Brodeen's TV Magic Card commercials on TV back there. They used to show them a lot. And then Mark, Magic of Mark Wilson used to be on 7 a.m. in the mornings and Wonderama, because I'm from Connecticut, so they had New York shows, Wonderama about McAllister. He'd have magicians on like every week. Okay. So I, I'd watch all that stuff. So I would go to the library and start getting books out. Uh, saw my first live magician at a library show. Uh, and then I got books out. So I kept getting books back in the day when there's no videos and nothing, no DVDs, obviously. Right. I took like 10 books out and I got into it at six years old. And I, it was something <laughs> that I just did on my own. And uh, I just kept doing it my whole life. You know, it's very interesting. I look back at my life, it's been, uh, I've been doing magic for uh, 42 years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty crazy. Did, did you ever actually have a quote unquote real job? Well, I, I worked all my life since I was nine because my parents were very hardworking. We didn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So I always felt like I wanted to make my own way. So from nine years old, I would do like jobs around the streets and pick up like stuff in stores and clean up. And I worked at a glass shop uh, when I was like 18 out of high school. I worked at a glass shop. and I learned how to cut glass when I was nine. And so I was always wor- making money because I always wanted to, to really not ask my parents for money as much as I could have because sure, yeah. I could see them working so hard you know so i always liked to work and i always had jobs i always had jobs since i was nine years old till i started doing magic full-time okay yeah so it, it seems you kind of had like an entrepreneurial bug from you from the the beginning 
I think so. Yeah. I, I think so. My relatives and my uncles, you know, have uh, uh, six uncles in Italy that were all businessmen. Maybe it's in my blood. I don't know. I just always liked the <laughs> entrepreneur part of it. And then I started doing kids' birthday parties. And then I was, you know, rocking and rolling. My poor dad is driving me around three, four shows a weekend. You know, <laughs> I was 12 years old. I, yeah, I couldn't drive. My dad right. was my chauffeur. And he'd wait in the car for an hour, the poor guy. And then, I, you know, he'd take me to the next show. And, you know, some days I had three shows. Yeah. And he'd, he'd take me around. So uh, it was good. I had a nice little business going when I was, when I was younger. Whew, man. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. Pretty so. Cool. Did you just kind of like ease into performing full time, or what, what? What made you want to go pro as a performer? I've always wanted. To, I think I always wanted to do it. The more yeah. I worked regular jobs, I realized I'm not doing the right thing. You know, because you know how it is as a performer. You can never match. You can never match the the, the the attention, not the attention, but the the response you can get. You know, on stage from anywhere else. So, even while I was working these other jobs, I've always in my mind was always working towards becoming uh, doing magic, you know, professionally. And I never thought about the money of it. I just wanted to do it. You know, I didn't care about the money. I just wanted to perform. You know, and I always tell people that don't concentrate on the money part of it. If you're good, the money's going to come. Just do a good job, you know, do a good job with it. But I've always wanted to be a magician, I think, from even my yearbook is uh, uh, my quote from my yearbook was aspired to be a professional magician. <laughs> in, in my yearbook, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, mm -hmm. uh, in in what you've said so far, it sounds like your uh, your family has always been super supportive. Did you ever receive any kind of resistance from family and friends, or? Well, I think it was. I was blessed that my parents didn't know how to really offer me advice because obviously they were immigrant Italians. They're hardworking. They didn't know what magic really was, but they always allowed me to do what I wanted to do. They said, you know, you know how to, you know what you're doing, you know, make your choices. So that was like a gift, you know, and they get worried when I moved to California, you know, back in, uh, you know, was it 89? I moved to Los Angeles from Connecticut. They were a little bit worried. I can't believe they let me go. I would never let my son go if I was a parent, <laughs> you know, Yeah. but I went and they supported me. They said, you do what you have to do. They, I think they saw the passion in me. They saw it, you know, and I think that's a key too. When people, when you're passionate about something, people around you sense that mm -hmm. and they don't question you you have a credibility behind you people want to come around and maybe even help you and you know just this guy you know just they, they like to be around that energy and i think my my parents felt that when i was so young doing this they they realized it was something uh, more than just a hobby you know so that that's important to have the passion is always the key i think Right, right. If you're doing something just to make the money, whether whether it's performing magic or, or performing of any kind, or even just uh, you know, if if you go to school to become a doctor and you're doing that, yeah. and you don't enjoy doing that, it's uh, <laughs> no. you're not going to like it. <laughs> no, it's a sad life to live. I mean, mm -hmm. the key is to enjoy what you're doing, whatever it is. Yeah, and the yeah. money is good if you get it. You know, it's of good. course. Yeah, yeah. Now, Tony, you uh, you studied under Slidini, didn't you? Yes, I studied. That was that was a life saving experience for me. I studied with him over two years in New York. Uh, I took a tr used to go from Connecticut on a train to New York City, and okay. I would go every Tuesday to study with him. And uh, it was it was a great experience for me. Wow, could you uh, talk a little bit about what it was like studying under Slidini? Very interesting. He was one of the greatest teachers. He would teach you one little step at a time and until you mastered that step like for instance coins to the table it took about eight weeks to learn the routine because he teach you the first move that's it 
that one Hank Ping Chen move, one move, one move, one move, and then you come back the next week, and he says, okay, good. He teaches the next move. Now you do two moves, and he would build on that. He'd build on that. And every, by the time you get to the end, it'd be rock solid. So it was a very, very good way to teach. But unless you're really into magic, even said to me, he goes, you know, I don't, people don't like, because sometimes they, they, they don't learn tricks too fast. I said, no, no, I don't care about the tricks. Because he was, you know, he thought, well, if you don't learn tricks, you're going to leave. And that does happen. You know, some students just want to learn tricks. But I was there to learn technique. And that's what he did. He was a master at it. Great teacher. Awesome. Now yeah. you'd mentioned that it was a a life saving experience. What what did you mean by that? Well, when I met Slidini at the uh, Tannins Jubilee, uh, this was like in '86. I was very uh, much out of magic at the time. I was powerlifting at the time. I was huge. I was about two hundred twenty five pounds. Wow. <laughs> for my for my frame, you know, I'm five seven, and you know, it's about sixty pounds heavier than I am now. And I was competing in powerlifting and. I was getting guilty, and uh, I felt, ah, my parents like, oh, what happened? You're not doing magic anymore. I'm like, I know. I can't fit in my tuxedo. I can't fit in my clothes. <laughs> so I met Slidini by chance at the, the Jubilee, and I said, does he – I asked one of his students that was around him. Like there was a swarm of people around him all the time. And I said, does he teach? I said, maybe I could take lessons from him. I knew who he was, but I didn't know exactly what he did. I knew he was – I saw him on TV before. Mm-hmm. So I just – by chance, it was just, it was just meant to be. You know, I met him and we talked briefly. He gave me his card. I studied with him and then I started working with him and I got back into magic. But then it went like four weeks into it. He, he looks at me and he says, tells me, you know, you were learning very quick. You were one of my best students, he says. Someday you worked at Magic Castle. He says, but I have to say one thing. He says, you have a nice face, but you're too big. You know, and he was tiny. The guy probably weighed 90 pounds, you know, right. at, at, and I was 225. Imagine that, you know. <laughs> so I dwarfed him. And I, it hit me so hard because he was really believing in me and he didn't give compliments easily. And I said, okay, Slidini, I'm going to work on that. But unbeknownst to him, I was about to go home and start a new cycle of steroids that I had in my house, in my, my parents' house. That would probably get me to become bigger. So by the time I get home an hour later, I was already made my decision. I was, I was over, done with powerlifting. In that one train ride, I came home, I destroyed all the drugs, I threw them all like trash. And and flushed them down the toilet, and that was it. I stopped right then and there. That was my life-saving uh, moment. Wow, that's that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you uh, for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, it's, it's it, it, it like certain things happen in life for a reason. You know. I agree. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, well, one of the things I like to uh, ask my guests, and just you know, so that we can we can learn from it. Uh, is I, I like to ask for a failure moment that uh, that they've had uh, somewhere in their uh, uh, in their career. Could yeah. you share with us a moment uh, like I th- that? I think it's funny. This is this is like probably the first big failure, but it was the first big lesson. And and it always it comes to mind every once in a while when I teach some of the younger guys. It was the first contest I ever entered a small little convention in my hometown. Mm-hmm. And I was about uh, 11, and I thought I knew what I was doing. I was very cocky. I thought I was good. I bought a bunch of magic. I was doing it, and I thought I was good. I had no clue, really, how bad I was. And I got into this contest. It was a junior contest, right. and it was young kids. So I get in the contest. I thought, oh, I'm going to win this contest. I didn't even place. It was so bad. And I remember seeing a video of it a while later. 
and I wish I could find it, uh, but uh, <laughs> it, it was so bad. And in my mind, it, it woke me up. I'm like, oh, reality. It was a great reality check. Mm-hmm. And from that moment on, I vowed never to hit the stage unless I was prepared. Yeah. So that even at that young age, it was a great learning tool, you know, to fail. So it's, it was, you know, you learn from those failures. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so your takeaway was just uh, don't hit the stage unless you're prepared. Yeah. Learn to practice more and, and, and look for people's advice. And, you know, I was always to myself. I didn't share my magic. Then I go, oh, I got to show people stuff before I get on the stage, you know, mm-hmm. get, get feedback. You know, I was afraid, I was always afraid to get feedback, but obviously I needed it <laughs> desperately. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So it was a good yeah. lesson. And, and magic, obviously, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's something to share with other people, you know? That's right. That's, uh, that's the reason for it. Yep, exactly. So, Tony, can you, uh, on the opposite side of the spectrum, can you tell us about one of your biggest successes? Wow. Um, I think as far as performing, I believe, I think probably doing a four-year run in Lake Tahoe was probably my biggest success. And for multiple reasons, it, first of all, it was the longest running show in the history of Lake Tahoe. They never held the show for four years because they had, you know, the, the, the return customers or 80% of the customers come from the Bay Area. Okay. So they have a lot of repeat customers. So they always like to turn over the shows every year or two. So I was there four years. So that was probably the biggest accomplishment. But more than just being there that long, it's just doing that many shows. I was doing 12 shows a week. Okay. Uh, six nights a week. I mean, yeah, twelve, yeah, six nights a week. I was doing two shows a night, twelve shows a week. You know, and wow. that, yeah, it was very successful. Uh, you know, on many levels, artistically and business wise, and you know, it was it, it was very very big success. And uh, I mean, I've won other awards since then, but mm-hmm. I don't know. For me, it's 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 just doing that work and being on the stage that long. It's it's I, I, it's a lot. You know, for me, it was it was good. You know, it was good. Yeah, yeah. What was the name of that show? Um, that was called Fantasy with a PH Fantasy. <laughs> a magical Odyssey. Yeah. Magical it was Odyssey. Cool. It was cool. Now, could you tell us a little more about that show? Was it just you? Was it more of um like variety kind of thing? Or? Yeah, it was a production mini production show back in the day that was very popular. We had three dancers. Uh, so they do an opening dance number. I come out, do my bird act, uh, do a levitation. They come out and do another number, dance number, like two, three minutes. And then I use them in the, in the, you know, in the illusions. So it was really nice. Costume change. I did like five costume changes in it. Uh, and it was like a 75-minute show. You know, It was really nice and tight and strong and a lot of variety of magic. And I had a juggler, usually triple lull or – a couple nice. of people I've used. Yeah, I've used – Chipper was my first act that I used uh, in the uh, show. He was in the show for a year. And uh, it was great to have him as a friend there because I needed the support. You know, mm-hmm. When I opened the show, I had – I think I didn't have enough money to cover payroll for the first week. And I was just praying that I'd sell enough tickets to cover my pay for my crew and my cast. Sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was down to nothing <laughs> by the time I got to the opening. Nobody knew that, but I did. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, it worked out well, you know, it worked out well. And, and it was, uh, one of your biggest successes. Could you, yeah. um, could you tell us kind of, how, how did you go about landing that gig? Wow. Well, I visualized being in Vegas, you know, right. I always wanted to be in Vegas and I didn't want to move to Vegas at the time. 
that was a big rush to move to Vegas. A lot of magicians move from L.A. to Vegas. But I promised myself, I said, I'm not going to move to Vegas unless I have a job because it's silly. Everybody's going to Vegas. They try to get a job, and now they're out of work. So I ended up landing a job at the Magic Movie Hall of Fame. A little gig, but it was three months long. And I'm like, well, that's a legitimate gig. I'm moving to Vegas. Right. I moved to Vegas, and I performed this little theater. It was really nice next to the Flamingo. Really cute little theater. It was a Dixie Dooley show. We had dancers. It was like a mini review show. And every night I'd walk and uh, on the strip and uh, visualize myself in the marquee, you know. And I would look at this big, just the big marquees. And sometimes I'd meet up with Jeff Hops in between shows. He was at Harrow's next door. We have a cigar in between the shows and stuff, <laughs> hang out. And we talk about, you know, the big time and being in Vegas and, you know, getting our own show someday. So and then one day, uh, one of the girls says to me in the show, she goes, what are you doing here? You're so good. You should have your own show. I said, well, that's my goal. He goes, well, my fiance has a connection in Lake Tahoe and we have connections at one of the hotels. We want to put a show together. I said, let's do it. So within a month, we had a show written and we went to Tahoe and pitched it basically with just my Dove Act video and a levitation video and the rest of it was all made up. <laughs> <laughs> I had no show. We, went, we, got, we hired three girls. We threw costumes together, went out to the desert, took some pictures created the themes for the acts. We had an Indiana Jones theme and uh, we had a Phantom of the Opera theme and we had a Houdini thing. And, mm-hmm. and we put it together and threw the pictures together and we sold the show. And uh, then that's how it all started, you know, just from doing my act, you know, my Dove act really was the basis of, of being seen and, and uh, you know, the credibility factor was in the Dove act mm-hmm. back in the day, you know, it was really tight. Yeah. So that that was kind of your uh, your intro into producing shows then. Oh yeah, that was a big intro producing shows. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was incredible amount of work. You know, my friends Doug and Seth, yeah, Doug Lefervich and Seth Udoff uh, came and helped me tremendously. I wouldn't have been able to do it without them. They worked around the clock literally to help me so much. They came and I didn't even pay them. You know, mm-hmm. they just did it for nothing because I didn't have any money. <laughs> so right, right. they helped me. It was just great. You know, I was so grateful for them to help me out. Yeah, and and since then you've just been doing it, producing shows. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I did that show for four years. I left. I took a break. I was a little burnt out after doing three thousand shows. Okay. Yeah, wow. Somebody called me from across the street. Yeah, that was a lot of show. Sheesh. <laughs> then uh, my, my co-producer, Paul Reeder, called me. Well, he was my co-producer back then. But he was a Tamer director for Caesars. He goes, hey, I heard the Horizons room is open again. They want you know another show. Why don't you come back? I said, well, I'm, I'm kind of burnt, but I'll, I'll put a show together for you. So he goes, well, we got a three-month spot. I said, okay, I'll put a little show together for you. So I created a show called Fusion. Mm-hmm. And we opened it, did very so well. They kept us for a year, kept us for a second year. Ended up doing four years in a row, two fusions, fusion one, fusion two. Then we did the Triple Lola experience, and then we did Masters of Ma- Then we did uh, uh, TV's Magic Stars. We did four years in a row again. Okay, so that's how it came. To, then it, I, that's how I got to produce. It was almost like an accident. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And and clearly you're good at it. Otherwise they wouldn't. Uh, you you wouldn't keep getting gigs for it. So yeah, I work hard at it. You know, I, tr- <laughs> I try to make it work i try to look at the audience point of view i have a formula that i use for the business side and for the production side and make it work you know i just got back from reno i was in reno for two weeks i just produced one of the biggest shows I've ever produced in the world's largest stage wow at the grand sierra resort in reno and i just came back from that i'm exhausted it's just i just have a formula and i just it's working again you know i just mm-hmm. i've been through the years you learn what works and what doesn't work 
Right, right. You know. So how, how do you go about uh, finding and, and choosing your talent for for these shows? The talent is interesting. It really revolves around the main act. You know, I work backwards. Like I okay. had two illusionists that I hired for the show in Reno, for instance. So I thought, well, who would compliment them? Who would not conflict with them? Who would give variety? So I hired Michael Grandinetti and I hired uh, uh, David Goldrake from Luxembourg. Two okay. very different performers, but they do illusions. I need the big stuff. The show's big. Then I thought, who would be a nice middle section for that? And that was old Kornhauser. He's in Reno anyway, and he has a really wonderful act, totally different act with a dog, talking dog. I said, that'd be perfect. Then I have a common thread. Then I have Eric Buss, which is he plays really big. His character's really big. He's got some really unique stuff. I said, he'd be perfect to have in between. So now I get these acts all intertwining with each other. And, you know, so it's a balance of, of the show. It's really like, it it's kind of works on who I have, and I don't want to conflict with other acts. So it depends on the first person I hire, pretty much, and it works backwards from there, really. Okay. Yeah, it's every show is different. Every show is different depending on the room. If it's a smaller room, you know, I'll hire different acts. If it's a bigger room or it's a cabaret style room, it, that all affects who I pick, you know. Okay. And I, I can't hire all my friends, unfortunately, sure, but I, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the hard part, you know. That's yep. the hard part. Now, do you hold any kind of auditions uh, for any of these uh, openings, or do you already have people in mind based on the uh, like the size of the theater and different things like that? Yeah, usually, I mean, I usually go out to see people live, okay. for instance. Uh, you know, if I want to see a performer, when I had Alex Ramon for Tahoe, uh, I knew he was a good performer, but I never saw him do like more than maybe 12 minutes. He filled in for me once up in Tahoe at one of the shows, but I wanted to see that he could handle the whole show. You know, So I went to go see him at the castle. Mm-hmm. He did like two spots, 30 minutes. I, it was very strong. I said, okay, I can see. Now, yeah, he's fine. So... I like to see people live if I didn't see them in on tape or if I don't okay. know them very well, you know, so either way. Got it. Got it. So could you uh, maybe talk to the person who might want to become a part of a show like this? What, what, what kind of things do you look for in people? I think the biggest thing is a polished act, you know, and I, I always ask people for unedited version videos. I've been burned once or twice in my career producing over the last 12 years mm-hmm. of people having a very polished uh, video. So now I make sure that I'm able to get a raw footage video. I don't care what it is. Just I want to see the, you perform the act in its entirety without editing. Um, so that's important to have a good video of your act. Um, and I think, you know, your reputation is important. I like to hire people that are easy to work with and are right. professional people. Um, there's some people out that I just love to use, but I can't, you know, I can't jeopardize my business. Um, right. it's a combination of, you know, your work ethic and the quality of your act. I mean, the quality of the act has to be there. It has to be a good quality act, you know? Um, and I tell people, so just stay in touch with me because sometimes things come up. This renal thing came by very quickly. Yeah. You know, you never know. I might get a call tomorrow. You know, I just ask people to stay in touch uh, with me and uh, send me updates and stuff like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, you'd mentioned a moment ago that you kind of have a formula that you uh, work off of when creating shows. Is that something you'd be willing to talk about here on the show? Um, I would if I could explain it properly, mm-hmm. but I think since the, each situation is so unique. Right. 
that it's really customized to uh, each each situation, each room, each venue. It's really revolves around the venue. Okay. Um, and it's really more of a feeling that I use to get the acts. I mean, it's all about the rhythm of the show. I mean, that's all I could, that's the basic bottom line. It's, it's the rhythm of the show has to be very flow as a flow and be very rapid. That's kind of like, I always like the shows to, to move and not be stagnant, mm-hmm. you know? So that's the key, you know, it, it's just keeping it uh, very lively and not uh, predictable, if you will. Okay. Yeah. So could you share with us uh, one big lesson that you've learned in uh, in uh, in your journey of cre- of producing uh, large shows like this? Well, the biggest lesson is that you always allow more time than you expect mm-hmm. and uh, be ready for changes to happen to the last second. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. yeah. Things yep. change constantly. Uh, you know, either as a technical issue – a stage issue, a personnel issue, you might have to switch around things and be mm-hmm. flexible and don't take it personally. And and then it's also management of the talent. It's really respecting the talent, treating them respectfully, you know, just, just make them feel like you want to be f- treated, you know, sure, uh, yeah. you know, treat them, treat them well, you know, I mean, and, and they, they, they do work, they, they work better for you and they, it's a win-win situation. You know, try to create a positive environment for the performers. That's the key, I think. That's okay. the biggest one, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Now, what one more thing about um, about uh, uh, producing shows? What would you say to somebody who's who might be considering producing a large show, uh, something like you've been doing? Good luck. No. Uh, <laughs> well, I think it's you have to make sure. Maybe if you don't know what to do, have somebody come and advise you. I've been hired before to help other people, you know, mm-hmm. um, get, you know, the first time around is the scariest and sure. you'll learn how to do it yourself. But, you know, if there's people around to help, I would seek the, the help because you don't want to lose money. You know, there's a lot of money involved sometimes or most of the time. Mm-hmm. So you don't want to risk the money, you know, um, yeah. get someone that knows more than you if you can to help you and uh, get you through the first one, you know, and uh, it's, 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 you know, it's not. It's, it's different. It's it's every show I've ever done is is very different. I can't quote one show that had exactly the same formula that I use, but it's similar pattern, but not exactly the same. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but it's just having a quality show that moves that's not long and boring. You know, right? Don't don't make it too long and don't make it boring. That's the key. Okay, so basically, uh, get a coach for for the first time around. <laughs> I think so. I mean. Yeah. Oh, you know, Jim Steinmeier is out there, of course. He's, you know, the world's best. And uh, you've been around, worked for the best. I do it. There's a couple of guys that do it. You know, I always tell people, you know, you could do it yourself. But all I can do is probably save you a lot of time and headaches. Yeah. You know, that's that's the be- that's the bottom line. And and that uh, you know that's that's advice that can be carried over into any new venture that you're you may or may not be looking into going and doing you know whether uh, like I don't know let's say I wanted to go do uh, trade shows you know I sure. would go find somebody who's actually doing that sure and uh, you know talk to them <laughs> exactly I always tell people yeah. you want to learn how to bake a cake you don't go to a mechanic yeah you go to a baker you know yep. 
you want to learn how to make money, you don't go to the homeless guy on your street. You go to a millionaire, you know, to, that knows how to make money. Yeah. yeah. So that's the key, you know. Like I said, it's all about time. It's, it's the time you save to get to your goal. Mm-hmm. You know, you, it could take you 10 years and you could do it, but if it takes you three years or two, it's a little better. <laughs> a it's little worth better. The money. It's worth the money. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Yeah. Tony, how do you differentiate yourself from others in your genre? Do you have a unique selling point? As a performer? Uh, yeah. Yep. Um, well, back when I did the bird act a lot, I don't do the bird act that much anymore, but when I performed around the world with a bird act, it was very classic. Uh, you know, my, my act was very classic, and it was an act that could almost fit every, in any show because it was silent. So my act, I think, was very classical, very stylized, very classic, you know, Phantom of the Opera theme. Um, I think that, you know, it, it, that's what stood out from the rest was it was making it a classic style. There was other guys doing it, but, you know, I did the bird act classic style. It, was, it worked well for me, you know, mm-hmm. worked well for me. fit my personality. It fit okay. my personality, yeah. Cool. So, uh, what's uh, what's worked best for you in uh, helping to grow your business, Tony? For me personally, and this is all a personal thing. I, mm-hmm. I I like diversity. Um, you know, for me, I perform, I lecture, I teach, I consult, uh, I build stuff, custom myself for once in a while, just for fun. You know, I do a few things. I have products. Okay. Uh, so for me. You know all these different uh, then you know areas of uh, income and uh, money streams was a very important way to stay alive in the business in the beginning and now it's great because you know when they all start hitting it's it's, it's a wonderful thing for business you know but I, I have more options and ways to keep my business going as opposed to one thing you know performing only you know yeah. Yeah, that, that makes that's a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, it's not for everybody. I just like it. You know, I just like the diversity. I like the variety of it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, just it's just very stimulating. You know, when I be able to do products or lecture or consult, I do TV stuff. I did two TV shows recently. You know, uh, consulting. One I actually was on the air with, uh, actually on screen, and it's cool. great. <laughs> yeah, so you know, it opens the doors to a lot of things, mm-hmm. and uh, it keeps you in the business for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm curious, what uh, what's the TV show that you're on screen on? Uh, it's called The Soul Man with Cedric the Entertainer. Okay. And I did a uh, like a uh, featured spot, like a guest spot, and there was a back uh, flashback series right. uh, scene. And uh, basically, the guy, the character, Cedric's character, was an old uh, uh, Vegas singer, and I was a backstage, and I was talked to him. I did some magic for him, and I was dressed in my uh, tails, and my, you know, they wanted a very uh, classical styled performer that was in Vegas before. I'm like, oh, that's perfect. So, <laughs> and I didn't have to even audition for it. It was just a, a referral, so that was great. You know, it was very nice. Yeah, and that's just one of the many things that adds to uh, the the variety of life for you. It is, you know, it, but it all comes down to quality product, you know. If you're good and you show up and you do, and, and I always say give more than they expect to receive. You mm-hmm. can never lose with that. You know, a lot of guys just do the bare minimum or less and not good. I've worked with acts like that. I've worked with people that give more than they ever uh, were asked to do. I'll use those people all the time, mm-hmm. and I do, you know. It's, it's that's the key really to success. It's a very small world. You got to do a good job no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. Uh, another thing that people might not consider is, um, uh, you know, with with you having all these different uh, um, avenues of of uh, uh, income coming in from like the products you sell to your performing to your booking shows and everything, is if if one of those things were to uh, all of a sudden like stop. Mm-hmm. You know, you still have the security of everything else, and you don't take as big of a hit. Whereas, if somebody who's working a, a nine to five day job were to lose their client, they're uh, they're out like everything. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's true. I mean, it's kind of a catch twenty two, though. I think about it sometimes. Doing a lot of stuff for me, I personally enjoy it, and it works for me. Mm-hmm. Sometimes other people need to focus more on one thing. You know, some performers that's all they want to do, and that's right. great. I'm not saying that's the answer for everybody. Um, I just like it, and you know, I just I just enjoy it. I just do what I enjoy now. You know, yeah. as you get older, you kind of do what you what works for you and, and what you enjoy, and and you know, I just things work. You know, when I do it, it works. I appreciate it and I love it, and I make money with it, but I don't focus on that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So. Tony, could you tell us an interesting story that you've encountered uh, during your performance career? Hmm, I think, (laughs) well, there's a lot. One of the biggest ones was a mind-blowing experience that I never forget. I'm at my show in Tahoe. Okay. I'm living my dream. I'm doing my show. Can't get better than that. Doing my own show, three beautiful girls in it, doing very well, sell-out crowds. And this is fantasy, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. So I get a call back in the day when there was phones backstage, real phones, no cell phones. Mm-hmm. And everybody called each other from backstage, you know, and we all had numbers from all the casinos and stuff. All the backstages had their own number. Bringing the phone rings. Tony, it's for you. Somebody at Caesars calling. I said, Oh, hey, how you doing? Hey, this is Chris. Uh, uh, David wants to come and see your show tonight. I said, uh, David? Yeah, David Copperfield. <laughs> Because he was working across the street at Caesars at the time. And I'm like, uh, 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 sure, sure, yeah, of course. Uh, he said, what time does the show start? I said, well, it's 10.30. He goes, well, could you mind holding the curtain for like five minutes so we can get over there really quick? I said, oh, oh sure, no problem, no problem, no problem. Hung up, and I was like, whoa, my head almost exploded. <laughs> Here's the guy that I grew up watching that's been an inspiration, probably the greatest magician of our lifetime. He's about to come and see my show, my little showroom, 220-seat little cabaret, the, the legend Copperfield is coming. So <laughs> I tell my crew, I said, okay, guys, he's coming a little late, so we have to pretend like something's going on. And so five minutes, he's not there yet. Ten minutes, I call my crew. I said, look, go out and pretend like the speakers are not working and you know, mill around <laughs> with the flashlights, make it look like there's a technical issue. Otherwise, people are going to be pissed. I'm not going to tell them I'm waiting for Copperfield to show up. You know? Yeah, yeah. So thankfully, at, at about 15 minutes, he shows up. Bang, we do the show. And now I have to use my mental focus like nothing like I've ever done before. I mean, I had to really focus. I had to forget about he was there. Uh, thankfully, the crowd was good, and the show was good, and he enjoyed it. We talked, you know, afterwards for about a half an hour with him and his, his, uh, his cast was over there. Chris Kenner was there, right? Um, and then about four months ago, I was in Vegas to see David at the MGM. A friend of mine got me tickets, and he says, "You know, Copperfield might not." You know, he won't see you before the after this first show because he has two shows and he likes to relax and get ready for the next show. I said, no problem. I'm, I'm, I'm not worried about it. After the first show, girl taps me on the shoulder. David wants to see you backstage. I said, cool. So I go backstage. He's there. Hey, man, how are you? I still remember that show in Lake Tahoe. 
that was a great little room. I'm like, are you kidding me? He goes, no, I still remember it. It was really good. I really enjoyed it. I said, my head almost exploded again for the second time. <laughs> so that was like, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was like 16 years ago. Yeah. And he really remembered it. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah he really remembered that. He goes, oh, yeah, they had those three dancers, that little cute room, and did a really <laughs> good job. I'm like, wow. So that was that was a cool story, you know, that I always remember now. It just got better recently. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's that's pretty amazing. And that was uh that was Chris Kenner who had called you on the phone backstage, yep. is that correct? Yep. Wow. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Very funny. It it kind of makes me think of uh that uh the scene from Wayne's World where they they go back and meet Alice Cooper, you know? Oh right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh my exactly. gosh. But but way cooler. <laughs> right. Wow. Yep. So looking uh looking at your career so far would you say would you say that you've made it I think I've done all I want and when I want it I mean there's more to come obviously yeah of course. I'm excited about what more things are coming and I think making it is is a very personal thing you know I don't compare myself to other people like I used to when I was a lot younger mm-hmm so my achievements are very self-fulfilling and, uh, you know, making it is like, yeah, I made it on the first day I did magic. I made it, you know, doing magic is making it for me. Yeah. You know, avoiding real work it, to me is making it, <laughs> you know, not driving and being in nine to five and, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, being able to enjoy exactly what I want to do every day. You yeah. Know? I think Spending that's time it. With your family and yeah. your kid. And- yes, of course. Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. Now, looking back, is there anything you would have done differently? I don't think so. I mean, I think about that once in a while to see what would I have done. I don't know. I think everything happened for a reason, the way it happened. Yeah. And I think I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. You know, and uh, I'm learning every day. I'm learning how to enjoy my day better than before and not worry about achievements all the time. You know, now it's more about enjoying what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And, and while I'm doing it, you know, instead of having my head wrapped around what's to come, you know, two, three, four, five months from now, yeah, uh, I think, you know, it, it's been it's been great. So I, it's just, uh, I don't know if I would have done anything different. I don't think so, really. I think it's happened the way it's supposed to happen. Beautiful. So what what does the future hold for uh, for Tony Clark? Do you think? Well. I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm just continuing, you know, these shows producing. I'm, I'm working on something right now that if it goes, it'd be pretty incredible. It'd be legendary. Mm-hmm. Nothing, to, nothing to do with magic. It's another show concept that my co-producer approached me with. Um, after he saw what I did with the show in Reno, he was very impressed. And uh, it was a massive job that I undertook, and he he saw what I did with it, and he came to me with another project that has nothing to do with magic, and it involves a, a legendary person. Um, wow. And if, uh, if this comes to fruition, mm-hmm. it could be interesting. Could be very interesting, you know. <laughs> nice. We'll we'll keep our eyes open for uh yeah for whatever that may be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and whatever else might come. I'm working on a lot of different projects right now, TV. I'm, I'm focusing yeah. a lot on TV projects. You know, a lot of them are not magic right now mm-hmm. because I need to I want my goal is to get into a production as, on TV. Okay. And then I'll be able to squeeze the, sh- the magic shows in, you know. Uh, right. Afterwards, so. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, cool. Tony, can you recommend a resource to us that you always use? <sighs> hmm. Well, first and foremost, I would recommend Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. Okay. For everybody. I wish I read that out of high school. It should be a mandatory read for anybody in 12th grade going into the real world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's basically what everybody pulls from now. You know, Anthony Robbins sure. and yeah. Zig Ziglar, Rest His Soul, and you know, all those guys out there. They're basically pulling it from you know, that book that took 20 years to write of success. You know, it took 20 years to write that book. So it's pretty, pretty powerful. And I used yeah. to reference that all the time. Um, and now I, you know, I, I read other stuff that's a little different, you know, geared more towards the internal person. And, uh, but for magicians, I would say the Daryl Fiske's showmanship for magicians is phenomenal. Okay. Yep. It's really strong. Makes a lot of sense, even relevant to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, really good. Really good. I, I, I would always recommend that book. Um, and you know, and just, uh, I think, you know, find other books, but I don't ever recommend magic trick books. I recommend right. books like this, you know? Absolutely. And then, yeah. And Stuff I'm that, that, yeah. that will make you a better performer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and a business person. <laughs> exactly. They go hand in hand, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I'm writing, I'm working on a book right now that oh, uh, cool. uh, uh, will have all that in it. Um, some business in it and performance and all of the techniques that I use for my shows and mm-hmm. rehearsal techniques and uh, visualization, all those tools that I've used through the years of my career, um, I'm putting them into a book that will have everything in there for any performer that wants to get, you know, improve themselves and mm-hmm. make a career out of it. So That's cool. We'll, uh, we'll have you back on the show then whenever you put that out. So, uh, to help you get the word out. <laughs> sure. That's good. I need more pressure to help me finish it, finish it faster. Yeah. So when do you want to come back on the show? A month? No, I'm just messing with wow. you. <laughs> that'd be a good goal. Two months and the book will be done. <laughs> yeah, I know that. That'd be awesome, right? It would be. Yeah. Uh, so what, what kind of a time frame are you looking at? Uh, curious. Well, it's funny because I just, you know, just producing this show in Reno, I just created another chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, idea for it because I thought, oh, here's something I I dealt with and it'd be very valuable for people to learn. So you know, I'm still learning and still going to add information to it. But uh, you know, I think I like to get it done by the end of the year, really. Okay. Maybe have it out by the first of next year. That that that's a realistic goal, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And are are you going to be putting this out yourself then with uh, um, kind of your your uh, production company, or are you going to have uh Somebody like L and L. No, I'll, like I'll probably self-produce it. Nice. You know, put it out. Might as well. I mean, yeah. I've done it before with a little book, my Dove book, but this would be more elaborate. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, make it to be nice with a nice cover, hard cover. You know, it'll be it'll be a nice uh, a nice piece. I want to make it nice. Of course, just yeah. like your just like your performance style and uh, uh, and your your business uh, acumen. We try, we try, yeah. <laughs> Certainly. Now, do you have a uh, a title for it yet, or not yet? Okay. Uh, a couple options. Yeah. Something came to me recently that I think might be the name, but I, I'm not 100 percent sure yet. Okay, so, that's always yeah, tough. We, we won't say anything yet. Just, yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. Working. Yeah, it's still a work in progress. So. 
All right. So uh, your your uh, your two books that you recommend are Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill. Yes. And uh, um, the Fitzky trilogy, right? Yeah, the Troll trilogy is good. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, Showmanship is showmanship my favorite. Magicians. Okay. Yeah, but the trilogy is good. I would read every one of those books. And and the Five Points of Magic of Juan Temeris is oh, awesome. Okay. That's really yeah, awesome too. Yeah, good one. I read that a long time ago, and talks about connecting with the audience. Mm-hmm. And I would say that with a with my silent dove act, I think it. Whew, yeah. It, it was really, it really worked well for me. Very strong. Very strong. Connecting with the audience is very, very strong. Nice. So those are the, I think to me, there's more, many, many more out there, but yeah. those are my three personal favorite ones. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, five points, and uh, all right. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> connecting with the audience and shuffle, 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 right? Well, yeah, <laughs> that book is more connecting. It's creating yeah. a, a literal connection with the audience, with the eyes, and has a bunch of exercises, you know, it has a very good, like, uh, Talk about your eyes being connected to the eyes of the audience with strings. And if you turn away too long from one side of the audience, that the strings are break. So you have to go back and mend them and spend more time with them. And it gives you all these cool visual things to deal with, you know. Uh, so it's very strong. It's very powerful. You know, and my book will have a lot of that kind of stuff in it as well. You know, a lot of things. And and I think the biggest thing in the book will be like a talking about the, the truth, you know, the truth being a true performer, meaning be yourself on stage. Mm-hmm. Audience is not stupid. They can tell if you're faking something. Yeah. And it's a lose-lose because you're faking it. That means you don't know how to p- pick the proper material for yourself because you're fooling yourself. When you're true with yourself, then you know, oh, this is something I would do. This is something my character would do. And it makes it all that much easier. You know, That's why I like working with actors, like mm-hmm. professional actors, because they know the character already. Yeah. So they just do the material as the character, and it's like great. You know, and I could see immediately what works for the character or not. So knowing who you are is really the first thing. Being truthful with yourself is the key to uh, being the, the, a strong performer on stage. You know, and then and some some guys get it young, some guys get it later. But when you get it, it feels really good. It's really effortless then on stage, right? To be yourself, really. It's scary, but yeah. effortless. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, Tony, would you give a piece of parting advice to our listeners? Overall advice, um, I just think don't do bad magic because it hurts everyone. Uh-huh. You know, it, 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 I, my, my heart goes breaks when I see a bad performer or a bad show because I know that, oh, those people that saw this will never come and see one of my shows. You know? So really, take some responsibility for the whole art of magic. It's not just your show. It's, it's also everybody else around you, all your, your fellow performers around you. Right. So if you don't do a good job, it's really going to hurt everybody else in a way, in a small way. You know, in, in, not directly, but you know, in a way it could. I mean, like in a small market, like a Reno market or a Tahoe market, if there's a crappy show in the, down the street, those people are not going to come by your show. But if it's great, They'll go and see every show. Yeah, you know they'll see every magic show that comes in town. So, I think taking a responsibility and and you know realizing it's not just you and your there's an art form that we're representing, mm-hmm. and you know we get basically you know pigeonholed and we generalize by what we do. And they go, oh, that I, that guy insulted me. I'll never see a magician again, or that yeah. guy is terrible, or, or whatever. You know, 
you got to be careful with that. Just be conscious of what you do and, you know, always do the best you can. Don't, don't go out there unless you're ready. Yeah. That's, the, that's really the key. It's a, it's a uh, interesting thing that magic comes with such a stigma that whenever somebody sees a bad magician, they don't think that was a bad magician. They think that magic sucks. Right. It's yeah. a, it's very interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or they see a kid's performer and they go, oh, you do yeah. kid shows? That's all they know, which is fine. Kid shows are great. But right. people don't realize there's so many different genres of magic, you know? Mm-hmm. Mentalism, escapism, uh, kids' magic, uh, illusions, parlor, comedy magic, you know. There's so many different elements of it. Uh, yeah. People don't realize that. So yep. we have to educate them in a, in a nice way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Certainly, yeah. Show them good magic. Show them, uh, show them your best. Yeah. Yep. Just do your best. Get some feedback. And don't be afraid to get advice. I think that's the biggest key. Mm. Magicians are probably the only entertainers that use probably the least amount of directors. There's no other show or art form in the history of the world that uses less directing and consulting than magicians. And oddly enough, it should be probably the most used by magicians because it's most critical. You know, If you mess up a music piece, it's not going to expose anything. Right. Magic, you're exposing magic or you know, it's not good, but it's it's rare for guys to hire people to help them unless they're at the high, high level. Yeah. You know, that's it's, the key. It's a big responsibility. Oh yeah. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Tony, can you tell us where we can find you online and uh plug your services and any products you might have? Yes, my website is very simple. It's uh Tony Clark magic.com uh tony clark underscore live on facebook you search me on facebook too mm-hmm. i do some specials on there sometimes uh but tony clark magic.live uh tony clark uh productions is my dot com is my production shows that you can see there and then uh magic consultant tv is for magic consulting and uh, all the phone numbers are the same um on those sites so anybody wants to get a hold of me for consulting Mm-hmm. Less private lessons. Uh, that's how you do it. Just go on the site and get the phone number. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thank now, uh, if if you go to the show notes page, which you'll be able to find at uh, www.successfulperformercast.com/slash/tony-clark, you'll be able to find links to all of the resources that Tony has recommended, as well as all of the places that uh, he just mentioned where he is online. Great. Thank you. There you go. Absolutely. Tony, you've shared all kinds of wonderful information that our listeners can use to help grow their performance businesses. Thank you so much for joining us tonight and sharing your experience. Hey, thank you. My pleasure. (laughs) Have a wonderful evening. Thank you. Hey there, this is your host, Chris Shepard, wrapping things up. I really hope that you're enjoying these free podcasts. If you are, I'd really appreciate it if you go to SuccessfulPerformerCast.com, click on the subscribe on iTunes tab at the top to be taken to the iTunes store where you can leave a rating and a review. Don't forget that I'll give a shout out by name to anyone who leaves a five-star rating. Now, go out there and make your dreams happen.
here's the guy that I grew up watching that's been an inspiration, probably the greatest magician of our lifetime. He's about to come and see my show. 